Amen. All right. Well, let's uh, go ahead and uh, look down there in your Bible at Second uh, Samuel chapter number twenty-one. Second Samuel chapter number twenty-one. And uh, I was looking at my notes there, and I got a little distracted. I didn't take my coat off or anything. Second Samuel twenty-one. Um, we we dealt with the first part of this chapter last Wednesday, uh, so we're gonna just uh, start up right where we left off in in verse number fifteen. And uh, if you remember last week, we talked about the fact that we're getting into a phase in the book of 2 Samuel uh, that is not necessarily in chronological order. And we're going to look at several battles here through verses 15 through 22 in which uh, they talk about uh, different battles. And I want you to understand that this is just an overcap of several battles and the death of four giants. There are four giants mentioned at the end of this chapter that were put to death. I just want you to know, this is, it's not like these four battles happened one right after the other. These were throughout the reign of David, but they're kind of just all recapped here uh, for emphasis. If you look at verse 15, notice what the Bible says. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. Now, in the Bible, you will often find that a lot of the stories that we find in Scripture, as we study through the Old Testament uh, you'll find that a lot of the stories have to do with battles and war and fighting. And you may wonder, you know, why is it that there's so many, so many stories? I mean, if you start in, in Genesis, you've got battles. And in Exodus, you've got a big confrontation between Moses and, and Egypt. And in Joshua and Judges and just about the rest of the, the Bible, it seems like we're dealing a lot with this issue. You know, why is that? And uh, I think the reason for that is because the spiritual life in the New Testament is often likened to a battle or to a war. You don't have to turn there, but Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Again, you don't have to turn here, but in 1 Peter 5.8, the Bible says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary... Okay, your enemy, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. See, you and I spiritually are in a battle. We are in a war spiritually, not physically, not against flesh and blood, but against the devil, against the principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. So I think God gives us a lot of stories in the Old Testament about battles because in some ways, we can learn lessons about those battles and apply them to our spiritual life. So here we've got this chapter, this end of the chapter, and you've got several battles that are talked about here. And we're told that the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. Go look, look, look at verse. Well, look at verse 15. Notice what it says. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. Now I want you to notice in verse 16 what the Bible says. And Ishbibinoth which was of the sons of the giants. You see that? So we, we're going to talk about several giants, and we're talking about giant slayers tonight, and these men that slew these giants, which was, son, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear uh, weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight. He being girded with a new sword, thought, notice what it says, thought to have slain David. Okay? Now I want you to notice that phrase in verse 16, thought to have slain David. That phrase doesn't mean that he thought he killed David, all right? What that phrase means is that he intended to kill David. He was thinking about killing David. He had one goal when he went down into this battle. He had one goal, and that was to kill David. That was to take out David. That was to take out the king. You may ask, why? Well, notice in verse 17. 
But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. The men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle. Notice what they said, that thou quench not the light of Israel. Now keep your place there in 2 Samuel 21. That's our text for tonight. But go with me to the book of Mark just real quickly. Mark chapter number 14. Matthew, Mark chapter 14. They said, you're not going to go to battle with us anymore, that thou quench not the light of Israel. And the idea there is this. The reason they wanted to kill David. Excuse me. I don't know why. Every time I'm going to get up and preach now, I'm going to have an issue uh, with my throat. The, the, the reason that they wanted to kill David is because he was the leader. And anybody knows in, in battle, if you've, if you've been in military or, or whatever, just, just paid attention to anything, uh, if you can get rid of the leader, then you can set everything into chaos. Because they said, look, if David, if you die, you will quench the light of Israel. You will, that, 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 that will be worse for us than if just some, um, some regular soldier, just some um, regular person was to die. And Jesus kind of taught this concept in Mark 14. Look at verse 27. Notice what Jesus said. And Jesus saith unto them, talking about when he was going to die. And Jesus saith unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written... I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall scatter. They realized, Jesus realized because he was the leader of, 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 the, uh, of the disciples there and of that movement that he was starting, of that church that he was starting, because he was the leader. When he got arrested and when he got crucified, that when they smote the shepherd, the sheep would scatter. Because when you can get the leader to fall or when you can get the leader to, to die, when you can get the leader to quit, then the rest of the followers uh, will often be in disarray. Well, often, and in battle, the enemy will always go after the leader. So if you are a pastor or if you have the desire of being a pastor someday, if you are a husband or you are a father or if you are a mother to children, if you lead anyone in any capacity, you ought to keep in mind and you ought to remember that the devil always has his target on the leader first. Because if you smite the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And here we see that you've got this giant, and he goes down into battle, and his intent and his thought and his goal is to kill David, to quench the light of Israel. Because he understood this, that if you smite the shepherd, then the sheep shall be scattered. Go back to 2 Samuel 21. And let me say this, in the spiritual life and in the life of a church, you know, uh, I don't know if you understand this, and I don't talk about it much, and maybe I should, but the, de the devil would love to attack me personally as the pastor of Verity Baptist Church because if he can cause me to fall, if he can cause me to quit, if he can cause me uh, to, to, to stumble, then that would, for whatever it's worth, and, and, it, and it should ought not be this way, but that could potentially cause a lot of you to be offended. It could cause a lot of you to quit. It could cause a lot of you to, to scatter. I've been part of churches or I've been close to churches where the pastor ended up being in sin or ended up being uh, not, not being able to pastor there anymore. And it was very few those who left and continued serving God. You'd be surprised how many would just quit on God. And how many just, you know, and it's like, well, were you serving God because of that one man or that one church? But here's what the devil knows. If he can scatter the shepherd, the, he can scatter, if he can, if he can smite the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And within a church world, let me just say this to Verity Baptist Church. If you would do me a favor, help me realizing that the devil would like nothing more than to see me 
uh, quit or falter or fall or fall into sin. And let me say this. Don't allow the devil to use you as a tool to attack me. Or you say, well, is this just about you, Pastor? Okay, you know, to attack any pastor. To, you know, if you leave Verity Baptist Church and you go to another good church somewhere, hey, don't be used of the devil as a tool to attack the leader, to attack the David of that church or of that movement or whatever it may be, uh, because you can be used as a tool of Satan. Remember, uh, Peter goes to Jesus and begins to rebuke him and begins to tell him. And what does Jesus say? He says, get thee behind me, Satan. Because Peter was being used as a tool. And I believe that sometimes Satan will use church members, you know, uh, as a tool to attack the leadership. And here's the thing. And here's the question I want you to ask yourself. Are you a help or are you a hindrance? Are you a help or are you a hindrance to your pastor? Are you a help or are you a hindrance to this ministry? Are you a help or are you a hindrance to this church? And if you don't know, just come ask me. I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, whether which one you fall under, okay? I'm just kidding. Don't, don't ask me. But, you, you know, you, you probably do, though. And, you know, sometimes uh, the devil will use uh, people to try to discourage the pastor, people with bad attitudes, people with critical spirits, people who complain and who always see thing, everything in a negative way. Here's a question I have for you. Is that you? Are you someone that the devil could use to try to get to the leader, whether it's me or whoever it might be, to try to discourage, to try to attack? Because here you got this giant, and he's thinking, his thoughts, his, his goal, his intent is to kill David. If I can kill David, the rest will scatter. If I can get David, the rest will be scared. And you know, oftentimes what Satan will do is he will use people to attack the pastor. You know, oftentimes I, I've noticed in ministry, and I know this because I've talked to other pastors and other men that are that are in ministry and i what we have found is this that often the devil will use church members maybe not to attack the pastor directly but to attack the pastor indirectly by attacking his family you know you ladies you ought to ask yourself this question are you being used of the devil to attack the pastor's wife because i don't know if you know this but i can't pastor without a wife it's one of the qualifications for ministry I need, I need to have a, 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 a wife that is involved and that is spiritual and that is right with God and that loves the Lord in order to be able to do the things that I do. And praise the Lord that we do have that at Verity Baptist Church. But let me ask you, ladies, are you a help or are you a hindrance? Are you a tool? Because here's what we've noticed, not just in this ministry, but almost every ministry that I've ever been a part of or that I know of. You will have ladies who will have this critical, and here's the key word, competitive spirit with the pastor's wife. And you've got these women that they become like these wannabe pastor's wives, you know. And they see her leading the ladies' tea, and they see her planning the baby showers, and they see her doing this, and they see her doing that. And they, and they want to just, like, compete with her. And, and whenever they can, they're like in competition or they're trying to make her feel bad or they're trying to make her look bad or they're trying to act like they're way more spiritual or whatever. Hey, listen, here's a question I have for you, ladies. Are you a help or a hindrance? To, or or are, you, are you that giant that's just got his sight set on the leadership and on his family and trying to hurt and, and, and be part of that? I've seen many churches be destroyed by a pastor's wife. I've seen many churches be destroyed because the devil attacked the pastor. And you ladies, you ladies ought to, and I, we don't have issues here with my wife. My wife is tough. I mean, she's tougher than I am, all right? And she'll beat you up too if you don't, uh, you know, pay attention. But, but, we're, but, but here's the thing. You ladies, you, you ought to be trying to be a help and a hindrance and to be a protection around her 
not be a problem she has to deal with. You men ought to try to be a help and protection. And I'm so thankful for the men in this church that will often put themselves between me and problems. And they will take care of so many issues. And they will take care of so many problems. And they'll just deal with it. And they realize, Pastor doesn't need to hear this right before he preaches. And sometimes people wonder, Pastor, why don't you mingle with people right before you preach? You want to know the honest reason why I don't? Is because people tell me really stupid things right before I preach. <laughs> and they try to put me in the wrong mindset, I feel like. And people will walk up to me and want to argue about some stupid thing or tell me about how they're quitting the church or whatever. And this is, I don't need to hear that right before I preach. I'd rather you tell me that on the way out. So I can just kind of slam the door, you know, when you're walking out or whatever. You know, and you say, well, that's the wrong. I'm just, I'm just trying to protect myself as a leader. I try to protect my wife. Here's another way people will attack the leadership. By placing non-reasonable expectation on the pastor's children. And then, and then attempt to burden them with those expectations. I mean, I've been shocked. I mean, my children are young. My oldest is nine. And I've been shocked at the expectations that people will burden on. Like if there's some sort of a, you know, and, and, and please understand this. There's, there's qualifications for leadership. The Bible says that the pastor's family ought to not be uh, 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 riotous and unruly, and we understand that, and we, and we get that, and they ought not be, you know, living in fornication, and they ought not be living as drunkards, and they ought not be just riotous and unruly, and we get that, but at the same time, realize they are just kids. And, you know, people, I'll, I'll watch parents, their kids, you know, can run around and make a mess and do this, but when the pastor's kids do it, it's like, oh, no, and it's like, look, they're just kids. It's not like when I became a pastor, they, they got some sort of, a, you know, angel uh, status or something. You know, that, that would have been nice. But be careful that you're not placing unreasonable expectations. If you knew how many pastor's kids grow up to not serve God because of the way they're treated by their church family. If you knew how many pastors have to quit the ministry because of the way that people treat their wives. If you knew how many pastors cannot be used of God because they've got some big Goliath who's got some chip on their shoulder because a few chapters ago you killed, you know, you killed their Goliath, you killed their dad or whatever. You know, if you knew how much leadership has a target on their shoulder, you may keep your critical spirit to yourself. And you may stop trying to be such a hindrance and stop trying to be such a problem. And I'm not talking about you've got a problem in life and you need to talk to the pastor. That's not what I'm talking about. That's what we're here to do. We're here to help and we're here to minister to you. But at the same time, realize, don't be that difficult person. You know, Jesus is trying to accomplish something and he's got to deal with Peter, who's all hyped up on his own flesh and trying to tell Jesus what to do. And Jesus just said, I can't even deal with this, Peter. Just get thee behind me, Satan. Sometimes at the door, that's what I want to say to people. Just, just get thee behind me, Satan. You know, just, I can't, I can't even deal with this right now. You're not in the right uh, frame of mind to be able to deal with those things. So I want you to notice one lesson that we learned from here is that the leader, the leader will always have a target on his back. The battle, uh, in the battle, the enemy will always go after leadership. And let me talk, let me talk to some of you guys. And we've got, I don't know how many guys, I think we've got eight guys that are in my class that we're training for future ministry. And let me talk to those of you that are married or you're not married and you're praying to get married. You need to make sure your wife's ready for the ministry. You know, in our, in our movement, there's this idea that, well, the pastor's wife is not a position, and I get that it's not a position, but it is mentioned in the qualifications for a reason. 
and you better make sure that your wife is spiritual, and you better make sure that your wife actually loves the Lord, and you better make sure that she reads the Bible, not just because you make her, or you better make sure that when you're sick, she goes to church just because she wants to, not, you know, oh, you're working late, forget church. That's not the kind of pastor's wife you want. Do you understand that? You better make sure that she's as much in the ministry and part of the ministry as you want, or just don't go. Just don't do it, because you're going to make a big mess. You're going to break a lot of people's hearts. You better make sure that she loves the Lord. You better make sure that she walks with God. You better make sure that she's friendly. Let me give you some advice for ministry training. Smile and greet guests, because guess what you're going to be doing as a pastor and as a pastor's wife? There's a target on the backs of leadership. And make sure you're not a hindrance, but you're a help. Go, go, I, don't know if you're, I don't know where you're at. Go, go back to 2 Samuel 21. Look at verse 7. 2 Samuel 21, look at verse 7. Let me show you another lesson we can learn from these battles. 2 Samuel 21, 7. The first thing we saw is that the enemy will always go after the leader. So I'm asking you, be a help, not a hindrance. The second thing we can learn is that in battle, we need allies. In battle, we need allies. Look at verse 7. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him. Now the hymn there is David. Remember, David has this giant coming after him. This giant has this intention, I'm going to kill David. And this is David older. He waxed faint, is what the Bible says. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him. The word succor means to help, to relieve, to bring aid, and smote the Philistine and killed him. So please understand what's going on here. It's not David killing the Philistine, but Abishai is bringing aid and relief, and help to David, and he smote the Philistine, and he killed them. And the men of David swore unto him, saying, Thou shalt uh, go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. Go to, go to the book of Ecclesiastes. You're there in 2 Samuel. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter number 4. You've got to go past 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter number 4, Ecclesiastes chapter number 4, whenever I go preach anywhere, whenever I'm a guest speaker anywhere, I always try to publicly not only thank the pastor, but thank the pastor's wife, and I always try to help the church family to understand, hey, don't just be grateful for your pastor and then treat your pastor's wife like she's a nobody, make sure you're thankful for your pastor's wife, you don't realize that they're in ministry just like we are. And you know what? When I was getting, you know, 20 death threats a day for three weeks, and all these people were telling me all these weird and disgusting things that they wanted to do to my children because of my preaching, guess what? Those were her kids, too. They, she, she was dealing with that, too. And some of you want to act like, oh, well, she's just, just nobody, and I'm just going to step in. No, 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 no. You be respectful to your pastor's wife. And you make sure you take care of her, and you make sure you love her. You make sure you take care of your pastor, and if it's not, you know, it's not me, then go join some other church and take care of that guy. But make sure that you realize that leadership has a burden on them, and ministry is difficult. Ecclesiastes 4, look at verse 9. Notice what the Bible says, Ecclesiastes 4, 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. You know you get more done when there's more people involved. Look at verse 10. For if they fall, for if they fall the one will lift up his fellow. Don't miss that. 
For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. You know what it doesn't say? For if they fall, the one can kick his fellow while he's down. That's not what it says. See, it doesn't say you're there to kick him while he's down. It says you're there to pick him up. It says you're there to be a help. Tonight we talked about some, some serious matters within our church. And listen to me. We don't bring those things up so you can kick somebody when they're down. Your job is to be their ally. Your job is to be their aid. And I'm not just talking about what we're talking about tonight. I'm just saying, in general, in church life, in this battle that we're in, from time to time, people will fall. People will falter. People will quit. People will, 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 will lose. And our job is to come up beside them and not kick them, but lift them up and help them. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. Our job isn't to go on Facebook and give up and talk all their gossip about everything. Our job is not to be to make sure, you know, make sure we're the gossips that get the news to everybody. Now, look, I realize leadership needs to get certain news. And I, I often tell those that on our staff and those that are key leaders in our church, you know, you need to do your best to keep me in the loop. The problem with church world is that usually the pastor is the last one to find out. Usually the person who needs to find something out first is the last one to find out. And that's by design because people try to keep things from the pastor or it's by mistake because people say, well, I just assumed you knew. But if everybody just assumes you know, then you never know anything. You know, so bringing information to the pastor or the pastor's wife or whatever uh, that needs to be brought up. Hey, we, that's not gossip. We, we understand that. But going to Facebook and letting the whole world know about it, that's not spiritual either. Do you understand that? Our job is not to kick someone when they're down. Our job is if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But whoa, listen to me. And, and we've got, you know, we've got live streaming now. And praise the Lord for it. And I'm thankful for it. And I, I hope that it's a blessing to people that are uh, maybe just zealous people. And they go to church somewhere. And they go to church Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. But they're in a different time zone than you and I are. And they're, and they're going to tune in to our services here uh, to get more preaching. Hey, praise the Lord for that. That's a great use for live stream. Another great use for live stream is uh, for our church family. If you're sick and you're not able to be here uh, for church, then you can uh, stay connected. And you, can, and you can be a part of that. But let me tell you what live stream is not for. It's not to replace church. Okay, it's not so that you can stop going to church and just live stream church. Okay, because you say, well, what's the difference? I mean, I, I, I can hear all the same great preaching. I can hear the same announcements. I can hear the same uh, song service, you know, but let me tell you what you can't get on a live stream. And let me explain to you what you can't get on a YouTube uh, video. And let me explain to you what you cannot get on an MP3 download. It's in verse number 10. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But notice what it says. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. See, live streaming and internet and YouTube and MP3 and iPods, that's not church. Okay? The main thing about church is not that you come here and listen to preaching. You can listen to preaching online, anywhere, anytime you want. You want to know the most important part of church is that when you fall, someone's there to pick you up. When you're missing, someone's there to give you a call. When you're struggling, someone's there to put their arm around you and to say, I'm praying for you, and I love you, and I'm here for you. And, and he says, woe to them that are alone when they fall. That's why you need church. 
You know, you say, well, I'm, I'm all right. You know, I'm just listening to these sermons. I listen to 15 sermons a week, and I don't have a church. Woe to him that is alone. Notice what he says. Not if he falls, but when he falleth. Because we're all going to fall at some point. We're all going to need help at some point. And woe to him that is alone. For he had not another to help him up. Look at verse 11. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? Look at verse 12. And if one prevail against him, this is David, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. See, the Christian life is meant to be done in community. The Christian life is not meant to be done alone. Because we are in a battle. And the lion... The adversary, the devil, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And I've used this illustration before, but I'll use it again. You watch those videos where those lions are hunting those different animals or whatever, and you know what they're looking for. They're looking for the one. When, when the whole group takes off running, they're looking for the one that's maybe a little slow, that's maybe a little sick, that's maybe a little weak, and that gets left behind. That's the one they're looking for. And we've got church people, and you watch them. You watch them start to get backslidden. You watch their church attendance not to be consistent. You watch them just not be spiritual like they used to be. And here's what I was thinking to myself. The lion's going to get you. Because there's strength in numbers. There's strength in being connected. The Christian life is meant to be connected. It's meant to be lived in community. It's meant to be uh, lived in a congregation. It's meant to be lived in church, because in battle, we need allies. In battle, you need friends. In battle, you need someone to stand next to you and to help you. So, you know, make an emphasis and make church important actually actively being here. Say, well, do I have to be here to all the services to be part of the church? Here's the thing. You don't, you don't have to be here at all the services to be part of the church, but you do have to be here to be part of the church. Because the word church means congregation. And if you never congregate with us, you're not part of the church. But let me explain something to you. You will make better connections. You will develop better wingmen to help you. You will develop better friendships the more you are here, the more consistent you are here. The more you come to all the events, the more you show up for fellowship. If you show up early and stay late, hey, you will just develop more people that are looking out for you. Because in battle, we need allies. So I, I said, number one, you know, in battle, we need uh, realize that the enemy is always after the leader. And in battle, realize that you need allies and you need friends and you need someone. Here you have David, great king, mighty David, the Goliath killer. Had Abishai help him? Had Abishai relieve him? Had Abishai aid him? Even a, even a David needs help from time to time. Let me give you the... Fourth lesson we can get from this chapter. Look at verse 17. But Abishai, the son of Zerah, succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, notice what they said to him. Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. They said, you are not going out any more because he waxed feeble he was getting older he couldn't keep up anymore and they told him hey you're not going to go out anymore here's the fourth lesson we can learn from this passage one day your fighting days will be over 
One day your fighting days will be over. Go to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. If you can find those T-books in the New Testament, you've got them all clustered together. First and 2 Thessalonians, First and 2 Timothy, Titus. If you could uh, find 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, do me a favor. When you get, when you get to 2 Timothy 4, uh, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. But uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and look at verse number 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and look at verse 6. They told David, they told the great warrior, David's probably the greatest warrior in the Bible. I mean, we, more victories, more successes, more battles were won by David than by, by any, anyone. I mean, uh, maybe Joshua, but uh, David was definitely up there and his mighty men in the battles. But there came a day for David when they told him, you're too old. When they told him, you're too slow. When they told him, you're too weak. When they told him, you're a liability. When they told him, thou shalt go no more out with us to battle. That thou quench not the light of Israel. And you know what? For you and for me, it's what we talked about on Sunday morning. Your time is running out. There will come a day when you can't, listen to me, there will come a day when you cannot go out soul winning anymore. There will come a day when you won't be able to read nine chapters a day. There will come a day when you will not be able to have Bible time with your children. There will come a day when you will not be able, men, to stand up behind a pulpit and preach. It's just, it's just the truth. There will come a day when I won't, no longer will be able to uh, lead this church as pastor. You say, well, what's the lesson? Uh, are you there in 2 Timothy 4? Look at verse 6. Notice the apostle, probably the, one of the greatest evangelists, missionaries, salt winner, whatever you want to call them, that, that walked on this earth. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, for I, am now, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He said, hey, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. He, he, realized, he realized that his fighting days were over. And one day your fighting days will be over. You're running out of time. You say, well, what do we learn from that? Here's what we learn. If you're going to do something, you better do it now. If you're going to accomplish something, you know, I, I just have this mindset as pastor. I'm, I'm 30 years old. I'll be 31 here in a couple of weeks or several weeks or something. And, and you know, that's not very old. And I, I still consider myself a young person. And I don't care what you say, okay? I'm a young person. But here's the thing. I've just decided if we're going to do something, we got to do it now. We got to treat 2017 like the last year that will ever be in ministry. I've got to treat every sermon, every time I get up here with a mic behind the pulpit, as a. it may be the last time I ever get up and preach. It may be the last time you ever knock on that door. It may be the last Saturday you get to go soul winning. It may be the last January you get to read. I'm just telling, be part of nine chapters a day. I'm just telling you that there's coming a day when you won't be able to fight anymore. So fight now. So get involved now. So get engaged now. See, David, they told David, you're not going to kill any more giants, David. In this chapter, four giants are going to die, and David won't kill any of them. But you know, at least David could say, I killed Goliath. And some of you are going to get to the place where we're going to say, hey, you're, you, you can't do it. It's, it's too late. It's, it's done. But yet there's no Goliath in your history. There's no bear or lion in your history. There's no great battles in your history. One day your fighting days will be over. When you get to heaven, you won't be able to get anybody saved. Better do it now. When you get to heaven, you, when your kids are grown and married, you won't get to invest in them anymore. I'm, I'm, I hate to break it to you, but they're just not going to be interested. They're going to love you. 
But they're going to be adults, grown up, and you're going to wish that they would spend time with you and wish that you could invest in them. You're going to look at all the uh, decisions that they're making and say, I wish that you were spiritual and I wish that you were right with God. Hey, why don't you invest that when they're 8, not 18? Why don't you invest that when they're 7, not 17, or 27, or 37? Just realize that you're running out of time. I know it sounds like a repeat from Sunday morning, but... One day your fighting days will be over. Let me give you the fifth one. I got I to gotta move quickly. Keep your place there in 2 Timothy. Go back to 2 Samuel 21. Keep your place in 2 Timothy. We're going to come right back to it. Let me give you 2 Samuel 21. 2 Samuel 21. Look at verse 15. 2 Samuel 21, 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed. The word wax means he was increasing in, in, in intensity or in extent. He was getting older. He was getting tired. Look at verse 18. 2 Samuel 21, 18. And those of you that maybe are more mature and you got saved later in life, don't, don't get discouraged. In this Redeeming the Time series, we're going to spend one week, I think, we're going to spend one week uh, talking about uh, you specifically and, and the plan that God has for you. And don't, don't get discouraged about that. God, God can make all things new. 2 Samuel 21, look at verse 18. Uh, look, notice what it says. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Uh, then Sibekiah, I want you to notice this. Sibekiah, the Hushathite, slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giants. Okay? So you got Sibekiah, who just killed the giant. All right? We just read about Abishai, the son of uh, of Zerariah, who killed a giant. Then you've got Sibekiah, who killed uh, Hushtai, who, uh, who slew Saf, excuse me, which was of the sons uh, of the giants. Look at verse 19. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines, where Elhanan, the son of Jeregoim, a Bethlehemite, notice, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like the weaver's beam. So here you've got this guy, Elhanan, who also slew a giant. You know what we're reading about here? We're reading about the next generation of giant slayers. I mean, remember David? Remember the story with David when Goliath? No one wants to fight the, no one wants to fight the giant. Everybody's afraid. I mean, Goliath goes out there and he defies the armies of the Lord and he's talking about how, how you know, he's going to whoop them and how they can do nothing about it and how their God is not mighty and, and everyone's afraid. And Saul, who was head and shoulders above everybody else, who was the leader, who should have been the one that goes out to fight Goliath, he was scared and everybody was scared. You got this little crazy man, David, who says, I'll fight that giant. And he kills him. And he's courageous. And by the way, he does it that all the earth may know. If you read the story, that's why he does it. He says, we got to fight this giant that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then you see what happens after that, after that influence, after people saw David kill Goliath. You know what happens? Four young guys said, hey, if David can do it, I can do it. If David can fight him, I can fight him. If David can go against him, I can go against him. And you know what happens? You get four new giant slayers. You get four young guys who said, I can fight the battles of the Lord, and I can kill the sons of Goliath and the brother of Goliath. I can take on these giants. And listen to me. There always needs, in battle, there always needs to be a reproduction of ourselves. 
We have to reproduce ourselves. And let me explain to you how we do that. We do it by allowing the, last ge- the, the new generation to watch us do great works for God. You say, why? You know, here's the thing. You know, in, in August of this last year, we had a big, uh, a, a big persecution. We had 600 homos and homo sympathizers out there chanting that they were going to, you know, destroy us. And we're going to be out here till Verity Baptist Church is no more. And you're going to get kicked out of your building. And you're going to do this. And we're going to do that. And here we are six months later in a brand new beautiful facility. And we took on that giant, and we slew that giant, and we're still fighting, and we're still going, and we're still fighting. And you say, well, what, what, what's going to happen? Here's what's going to happen. Four young guys, Lord willing, are going to come up behind us and say, well, if Verity can do it, I can do it. And hopefully they'll go, hey, hopefully there are four men in this room right now that will say, I'll go out. I'll start a church. I'll preach the gospel. I'll preach hard against sin. I'll stand up against the giants of this world. And we can reproduce ourselves. Hey, I'd rather kill four giants than one. And the way you do it, the way you do it is by being that initial David that says, hey, I'm just crazy enough and believe God enough to try it. I mean, it looks like we're all going to die anyway. Might as well go down in flames, you know. Might as well go down in glory. You know, might as well try to do something big for God. Because there's coming a day, David, when you won't be able to fight those giants anymore. So if you're going to do it, you better just do it now. And see, we have to reproduce ourselves. Someone said, said there is no success without succession. And we, we fail. Listen to me. We fail if we fight the battles and, have, and don't have that next generation come up behind us. We have to develop that next generation of giant slayers that are going to take our place in fighting the battles of the Lord. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. You should have kept your place there. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm out of time. I got to, we got to finish up. 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 2. 2 Timothy 2, 2. Notice what the Bible says. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Notice, who shall be able to teach others also. See, the goal, the goal is to reproduce ourselves. There is no success without succession. And by the way, it's not just for preachers. It's not just for men. It's for you ladies, too. You're there in 2 Timothy. Go to Titus just real quickly. We've got to do it fast. Titus chapter number 2. Titus chapter number 2. Look at verse 3. Titus chapter number 2 and verse 3. Titus 2, 3. Notice what the Bible says. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things, look at verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. See, he said, hey, you ladies, you aged women need to teach the younger women. We need to take our faith and make sure it goes down to the next generation. We need to make sure it's, there's, no, there's no win if Verity Baptist Church, and like I said, our church is six years old. I could pass this church for the next 30, 40 years, Lord willing, and there's no win. There's no win. If our church gets to the place where we have 500 people here on a Wednesday night, we have 700 people here on a Wednesday night, there's no win if we never train someone else to take on the torch and carry the torch after us. There is no success without succession. Go back to... Uh, Second Samuel, let me give you the last 
the last thing, and we'll, we'll be done. I want you to notice a theme in this in this uh, chapter. And if you if you can keep your place there in Second Timothy, you you need to keep your place there because we're going to come right back to it. But I'll give you this one quickly. Second Samuel twenty one. Look at verse fifteen. I want you to notice what the Bible says. Moreover, notice what it says. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. Do you see that? The Philistines had yet war again with Israel. Why does it say they had yet war again with Israel? Because the Philistines had already had war with Israel, but now they're having another war with Israel. Look at verse 18, same chapter, 2 Samuel 21, 18. And it came to pass after this, so this is a different event, that there was, notice, again a battle with the Philistines. Now we've got another battle. There was again a battle with the Philistines. Look at verse number 19. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines. Look at verse 20. And there was yet a battle in Gath. You say, what, what is the emphasis here? The emphasis is this. If we're going to win the battle, we need to make sure that we endure. Because it's not just one battle. The Christian life, just listen to me. The Christian life is battle after battle after battle after battle after battle. That's what it is. Just get used to it. Because sometimes people are like, man, I got saved. I got this really big battle. And, and you know, they're excited because they got saved. And this happened and that happened. And I came through it. And my church family helped me. And people came around me. And they suckered me. And they aided me. And we got through it. And whoo, that was exciting. And then there was another battle. And I thought, okay, well, I got to deal with this one too. And then there was another battle. And then there was another battle. And some people come to me and they're like, Pastor, does the fighting ever stop? I'm saying, not till you're in heaven. It's just battle after battle after battle after battle after battle. When do you get done fighting the Philistines? You never are done fighting the Philistines. Because see, the, 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 the fight that we're fighting is against the devil, and we will not be done fighting him until God takes care of him. And the other person you're fighting is your flesh. And you won't be done fighting that guy till the rapture or till you die. So just get used to fighting. Just get used to fighting. Just get used to, to engaging in battle. And when it's time of peace, go back and, and, and get some rest. I, I think Brother Al preached a sermon recently about things to do during time of peace. And that's praise the Lord for it. During time of peace, make sure you replenish and get rest. But realize that there's another battle. Just, just before, before you get all discouraged, there may be another time when there's people protesting our church outside. There may be another time when there's news cameras harassing us there may be in a before you get there and you're like well i can't believe this happened again just realize the christian life is battle after battle after battle after battle some of them are private some of them are public some of them are intense and some of them are smaller but it's what the christian life is about second timothy 2 look at verse 3 we're done right here second timothy chapter 2 look at verse 3 i had other things in my notes but we'll we'll skip them second timothy 2 look at verse 3 Thou therefore, you see this word endure means to have patience, to stay with it. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If you're going to be a good soldier, say, what's it mean to be a good soldier? Here's what it means to be a good soldier. You endure dark, you endure hardness. It doesn't mean you were with us through the Orlando thing and then it wasn't exciting anymore so you quit. It means you endure. It means you are patient. It means you stick with it. It means you are there. You realize there's another battle coming. The next battle may not be as big. The next battle may be bigger. I don't know. But the Christian life is just battle after battle after battle 
So we need to learn to endure. So we've won. So when do we win? When you see Jesus on the white horse, we won. Till then, just keep fighting. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for these chapters, these passages in Scripture given to us, Lord, to help us, to encourage us to be our examples. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church, as individuals, help us to realize there's going to be battles. We're in a battle. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we're in a fight. Lord, I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd guide us. I pray you'd help us to continue to fight the good fight. In your precious name I pray. Amen.